0: Good morning. morning. Welcome to those of you who are joining us in the fellowship hall and online today. Our sermon series throughout Lent has been about being transformed by Jesus. And we've seen Jesus calm the storm and his disciples, asking them, Why are you so afraid? We've seen faith transforming fear. We've seen Jesus feed the 5,000 through his disciples, seeing how the little that we bring to Jesus can be transformed and multiplied by him to bless many. We've seen how Jesus' loving intervention in the life of a man born blind transforms him from someone who had been sequestered on the sidelines of life to being a courageous witness for Jesus. We've seen how Jesus transforms a boy who'd been wrestling with powers beyond his control and the boy's father, who was certain he didn't have enough faith to see in his own life transformed, much less his son's, but offered Jesus instead a prayer, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And both were set free. Jesus said, even faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. And each one of these stories shows us that Jesus can do amazing things in us and through us when we'll trust that he wants to be at work in us. And since this same Jesus is at work in our lives today, also each week we've been sharing video stories from our own congregation. And on Wednesday nights, our community members have been sharing about different spiritual tools that have helped them experience Jesus' transformational power as well. But out of all of those stories of lives being transformed, today's story brings us to a whole different level. Because today Jesus transforms death to life and the raising of his friend Lazarus. So far, Jesus' miracles have all shown us that he has the power to prevent death. But that's not how this story goes. That's not what Jesus does here. Have you ever wondered why? I mean, if Jesus had just gotten there in time, it would be a much simpler story. Why this story instead of Jesus seeming to arrive too late? What's Jesus teaching us here? I actually think the timing of this teaches us something crucially important about our faith. Because have you ever prayed for a miracle? Have you ever prayed for healing of someone you love or yourself and you didn't get what you wanted? Did you ever wonder the same thing that these crowds were murmuring about Jesus? Couldn't the one who opened the eyes of a man born blind have prevented this man from dying? Did you ever in grief come to Jesus with the same question Mary and Martha both demand of him? Jesus, where were you? Where were you when I needed a miracle? If you love me, why didn't you stop this? If you've ever asked that question, I have to tell you, I think you are the reason why God allowed this story to happen just the way it did. I mean, think about it. What if in every account that we have of Jesus involving people closest to him, he always arrived in time to stop anything bad from happening to them? Wouldn't that make you think when bad things happen to you, well, Jesus just must not love me? Have you ever thought that? Well, if there was any family that people thought Jesus would swoop in and save the day for, it was this one. Martha, Mary, Lazarus, this family of three siblings were to Jesus like a home away from home. If there was anyone, people thought Jesus would drop everything and go and rescue, it was them. And obviously, they felt the same way. They sent a message to Jesus, the one you love is sick. Mary and Martha believed he would come and he would save the day, but Lazarus got sicker and then he died. And they were left in a complete state of shock. How could this happen to us? We have an ace in the hole. We have a friend who heals. Jesus, why? When I was in high school, I had some wonderful faith mentors in the parents of one of my friends. And when I was in college, I heard that one of them, Gary, had a disease that would require an organ transplant to survive. And I heard the story, and I was sorry for his suffering, but I wasn't worried at all. I completely believed that Jesus would save him and give him an incredible testimony for him to share. I mean, it was Gary. Until I got the phone call that he had died. And then not only was I in shock, I was angry. I mean, if anybody deserved a miracle, it was him. Lord, he loved you. He trusted you. Why didn't he get the last-minute miracle? Jesus, where were you? There's lots of stories, both in scripture and in our lives, where Jesus does bring a miracle and people glorify God through it. But that isn't always how the story goes for the faithful, is it? And yet, knowing and believing that Jesus has the power to prevent death, what do we do emotionally, spiritually, when we don't get the last minute miracle? What happens when Jesus seems too late? For us, what does the story of Lazarus teach us? Well, I think first it shows us if Jesus doesn't show up the way we expect, it's not because we're loved any less. Jesus obviously loves this family a lot. Jesus stands by the graveside of his friend among the grief of Mary and Martha and he cries. Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible, and it's one of the most profound. Because think about this, he knows he is going to raise Lazarus back to life in just a few moments, and still he cries. He sobs for the pain and the separation that is death. You see, the stories of Jesus transforming lives up until now are all about him preventing death, preventing hardship. But as amazing as those stories are, they're only stopgap measures of a bigger issue. And this is the real issue. The last enemy to face, the last thing that separates the Lord from his people is death itself. Something that sooner or later all of us will face. And truly the reason that Jesus came was not to prevent death. It was to conquer it. This is the showdown that Jesus is born for. And the story of Lazarus gives us a foretaste of that battle, showing us why all of these stories of transformation eventually lead us to the ultimate journey to the cross, and why Jesus faces it for us. See, Scripture tells us the separation of death from God and from each other came as the result of the breaking of the world by sin, which unfortunately is where we live, both figuratively and literally. And from the moment we're born, we're surrounded by influences of a world that is already thoroughly broken and separated from God. It's kind of like stepping into the path of a massive snowball that's already rolling down the hill, rolling headlong into death, with hell as its final destination. And if we want to be saved from that trajectory, if we think the answer is for us to somehow manage to extract ourselves from that snowball, or to stop it and roll it back up the hill by our own strength, I got to tell you, we don't have a chance. No more chance than Lazarus did of walking out of that tomb on his own power. Born into a world that's broken. Despite our best efforts, we all become people broken by it. We become people who further break the world by our choices, by our selfishness, even our ignorance. And that's the truth. And whether you want to admit it or not, you are a sinner, and so am I. We are all part of the problem. All of us have broken things, broken others, broken God's heart, broken even ourselves, intentionally or unintentionally. And all that breaking down leads only to death. Justice only comes when wounds are addressed as they are and the wounder must face their actions in all the seriousness that wound requires. Justice can only happen when culpability is confessed and restitution is offered. But you know as well as I do, there are some things that we break that we can't fix. Every one of us owes a debt, one life for the debt of our sin, or as the Bible puts it, the wages of sin is death. And we've known that since Ash Wednesday. (laughs) Since the start of these 40 days, we knew that this is where it was all headed. From dust we've come to dust we shall return. All of us will one day die. We each owe a life. But just because that's the way this story should naturally end, doesn't mean that's how it will end. Death is the natural end, the result of a broken creation. But guess what? The Lord's love for you is not natural. It's supernatural. And he loves you too much to let you go without a fight. Jesus, born into this world, fully God and fully human, is the only human being who bears no sin of his own. So only he has the shoulders free to take up our burdens, burdens that are not his own, and carry them for us and where justice demands a life for your sin, Jesus steps in and offers his for yours. Jesus stepped into that path, that trajectory of sin, and when he stretched out his arms on the cross, all those who will surrender our sin to him will find that when it's all past and gone, we will still be there with him, held fast by the strength of the cross alone. You see, the last enemy to be defeated is death. And what Jesus did for Lazarus is a foreshadowing of what Jesus came to do for you and for me. And we can see that when Jesus stood at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Verse 33 tells us Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And the Greek words there have the connotation of being hit in the gut. Hit in the gut with emotions that can either be translated as compassion or anger. Faced with the reality of death, death separating him from those he loves, death separating us from God and each other, Jesus' gut-level reaction to death is anger. His reaction is, this is not right. This is not how it should be. Death cannot be allowed to win. And if you've ever felt that at the graveside of a loved one, If you've ever felt deep in your gut, this is not right. This is not how it's meant to be. You're right. That's what the story is telling us. That when you're feeling that, you're feeling what Jesus felt. That the separation of death is not what God intended for any of us. It's not what God wants for us. Death was the result of a broken world. It is not right. And that's why Jesus came to do something about it forever. Not just for Lazarus, but for you and for me too. In this broken world, death must come sooner or later. But Jesus, moved with compassion and anger, chooses to put himself in the path of our story, to put his righteousness in the path of this not right, so that death won't get to win, so it won't get to have the last word over you or over me. Because Jesus didn't come to prevent death, he came to conquer it for us. And I think this experience that Jesus had in the death of his friend Lazarus Was Jesus' final reminder from God his Father of just why Jesus had to do this. Why he had to go to the cross to die, to rise. Because we are all Lazarus's to him. We are all the beloved friend at whose tomb Jesus will cry and be stirred with holy anger to say, Death, you don't get to keep this one. This one is mine. And he knew that if he was going to be there for you to raise you out of death, he first had to enter into death himself so he could be there to call you out by name to come forth and share his life. Which leads to the second thing I think this account teaches us, that with Jesus, the beginning comes after the end. Jesus comes to bring life out of death. And this will be true when we actually die. But it's also how he brings new beginnings even now. I think Jesus' arrival too late is to show us that sometimes the good news isn't that Jesus won't let there be an end for us. But that even when it seems to us like it's all over, that there's nowhere we can go from here, we can trust he's not finished with us yet. That this Jesus can bring new beginnings even after the end. Last week, as we heard the stories of life transformation from Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, I'm sure you heard that in their stories too. Sometimes for us, it takes dying first to find life. It's when we get to the end of ourselves, to the point of saying and confessing, Jesus, I need you, that when we finally die to self and surrender to our own illusions of being able to fix everything ourselves, that we can truly know the power of the Savior's work in us. True freedom only comes when we know that we're being lifted by a love that's bigger than us, that's not fueled by us, not powered by us. Real trust, letting go, is so hard for us to do, but death comes before real life. So what does that mean for you? Are there some things that you've been holding on to Are there been answers that you've wanted Jesus to give that might not actually be what you need? What might need to be allowed to die in you to let Jesus raise up something new, to call you into a new beginning with him? See, sometimes the death of something isn't the end. Sometimes it's what we need most for us to begin to truly live by Jesus' power in us. Scott Schleifer has seen that kind of beginning that comes after an end in his own life. I'd like to share his story today. Would you please turn your attention to the screen?
1: We had just had a new house built in Stillwater, and uh, we both had expensive cars, and we had a boat on the lake, and, and it was, you know, all our so-called good life. I thought it was the, the king of the hill, you know? I thought I had it made, and I was, uh, believing that I was God's gift to humanity, so to speak. But I wasn't. It was touch and go from from paycheck to paycheck. Finally we got to the point where we were against the wall and and we started to pray. And we prayed very earnestly that something, that God would intervene in our life and change things. And uh, it was a, one of those dark nights of the soul kind of nights. We were weeping, and it was a very emotional time. Well, in three months, within three months, I had the answer to this prayer. It's hard to think of MS as a blessing, but it really was. It changed my life. I have received insight. I have received uh, grace. I have received uh, inner peace. Uh, I don't have to strive for the uh, golden apple anymore, Uh, because I can't, but I don't have to. And that's freedom. That is a tremendous amount of freedom. Recognize the treadmill that you're on. Recognize that you'll never achieve what you're striving for. I think you need to make sure that you give time to God, that you are honest with yourself, honest with your mate, with your partner. God already knows you. God doesn't have any surprises that but I think that he's sitting there uh, metaphorically waiting for you to figure it out yourself that God listens to you and that God acts on your life when you ask him to and it's it's not something that you read in a story, a 2,000-year-old story or a 6,000-year-old story. It is something that is happening today. And it is happening to me. And I can tell you, and I will tell you, it is happening to me every day. It took all of this to make me realize that. And I have to thank God for that. Who knows what I would have ended up like.
0: What is Jesus showing you today about the things that matter for eternity in your own life? Are the things you need to let go, to let die, to receive the life Jesus wants to give you and show you today? When we ask the question, couldn't he who had opened the eyes of the blind men have prevented this in my life? When like Mary and Martha, we want to ask, Jesus, where were you when I needed you? This Lenten season actually brings the answer to that question into focus. When we ask Jesus, where were you? The Good Friday hymn turns that question back on us. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Because the answer to that question is yes, I believe you were. You were right there in the heart of the Savior who is laying down his life so that he could be the answer of hope for you right here and now, right where you are. You see, Jesus could have chosen to save himself and keep preventing Lazarus' from dying one at a time in this world. Or he could choose to let this broken world crucify him submitting to the nails in his feet and hands, to the torture of the cross, to enter into death himself so that what he did for Lazarus, he could do for all who listen to his voice, to catch all those who will come in his saving embrace. Jesus knew the beginning for us would only come after the end, and so he went into the end. And because Jesus went to that cross for us, there will be a day when he's there for you and for me to call us out, beloved, come forth, come out of that grave and step into a life where death will never separate us again. And the truth is, we may not all get the last-minute miracle, but there is a greater miracle that we are promised. And I saw that miracle from my friend Gary Throughout his sickness in his hospital room, there was a banner that had been made by his Sunday school kids. It was a picture of a sunrise that painted on it with the words, there is a brighter day ahead. And at his funeral, his family draped that banner over his casket as a bold proclamation that they believed that Jesus had called Gary into that brighter day. Because with Jesus, after the end is a beginning. And when you're at your end... He has a new beginning for you too because there's no such thing as too late for a God who makes new life out of death. So what is the beginning he might bring for whatever end you feel you're facing today? Bring it to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you meet us right here in this moment today. And we confess that life can be so complicated, it can be so hard. And sometimes we can feel like your timing is not what we'd ask. But remind us, Lord, today that your love for us is unshakable. And when we doubt your love, remind us, Lord, of your tears at the tomb of Lazarus. And remind us that you love all of us the way that you love Lazarus. And that more than anything, you want to call us from death into life by your power every day. So help us today, Lord, to surrender what we need to to you, to trust your power for us. And we pray this week as we go about our days that you would give us the opportunity as we meet someone else who feels like they're coming to an end in their lives to remind them that you are the Lord whose sacrificial love meets us in our endings, that you are the Lord who brings new beginnings. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.